Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, it's confusing. I didn't mean to be an actor, and I don't want to say that lightly because I'm very happy to be one now, but it was never the plan. I was right. always going to be a filmmaker and a director, a writer. And yes. I think as I began getting roles, it took me like three films to finally, on a press junket, be like, I guess, yeah, I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, my name is Leo Tipton, and I'm an actor. Hello, everybody, and it is Tuesday, which means, that's right, another episode of Off the Beat is here. As always, I'm your host, Brian Baumgartner. You just heard from Leo Tipton, an incredible person. I so enjoyed my conversation with them. They got their start on America's Next Top Model, being contacted on MySpace, by the way, before getting their big break on Crazy Stupid Love. You also may know them from Manhattan Love Story, Warm Bodies, Vengeance. Are you starting to notice a trend here? Steve Carell in Crazy Stupid Love, Vengeance, 
is BJ Novak's new film. Now, what do Steve, BJ, and I have in common? Well, that, my friends, is a riddle even I could solve. Leo also has another project, an exciting new show on Peacock. It's coming out this week, in fact. Uh, and if you've watched Peacock at all lately, and I do mean at all, I'm sure you've seen the promos for it. It's called A Friend of the Family. Leo stars alongside my other old friend, Jake Lacey, in what Leo calls a star-making performance, and Anna Paquin. I'm so excited to watch it, and I'm also pretty excited for you to hear my conversation with Leo today. Let's have at it. I had so much fun with them. Leo Tipton, everyone. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning. Left over from the night before. Hi, Leo. Hi. How are you? Man, I am. I'm pretty good little jet lagged, but me too. This is yet another thing we have in common. I am jet lagged today as well. Where did you come from? Los Angeles. You're in New York now. I am. Yeah. Okay. Are are you what they call bi-coastal? Yeah, I wish. Um, not so much. Depends on what job I have at the time. <laughs> yes. I hear you. Eight planes in six days for me eight planes how? it's not a joke how where why what are you are you what they call the bicoastal uh, no how where what why that's a great question i don't know i just it was just one of those crazy weeks lots of two plane trips and so forth um but i'm so excited to be talking to you i just i i found energy like 30 minutes ago, knowing that I was going to talk to you. I'm finding mine. Oh, there you go. Nice. I, I like so much, it. I got press today and press makes me so anxious. Does it? A, oh, God. Yeah. Why? Why? Why does it make you anxious? Doesn't, does, I mean, I feel like I have a difficult time socializing um, in general. Okay. And I think my, the way that my, words come out is not always um in a sentence okay. uh they more just kind of like fall out of my mouth and they roll around and i'm hopefully i can pick them up quick enough that no one notices and glue them together and like throw them back um but no i just get really nervous and uh eye contact is hard for me and um, okay. remembering what i'm saying is hard for me and so it's I got to kind of put on a mask when I'm doing press, but it's exhausting. This I, is much, I hear much that. prefer this. <laughs> you much prefer this. I, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I definitely early on, it was, it was a struggle bus for me. I can't believe I just used the phrase struggle bus, but yes, I'm using I, it. It, yeah, I, it was, it was also tough for me. And I think I eventually decided I just don't care. So if yeah. I if that's a help 
for you at all. I just was like, you know what? It's all, it's all a game. Let's do the best we can. We're all humans on this planet. And, and that's it. Cause I think I got so precious about it, but like, I couldn't, I can't screw up. I have to do this right. And I yeah. don't know. No, I mean, that is good advice. And I think the older I get, the, I am finally at the point where I despise it so much that, <laughs> <laughs> that I can kind of not care about it in, in right. that way. So right. it's, it's less like it, it's less a uh, pressure going in. Right. And I can coast coming out a little bit. Yeah. More. It's just, you yeah. know, when you, when you start out trying to be exactly what you think that they want you to be was exhausting yes. for me. <laughs> yes. No, I know it is. And, and it's so, it's so different. Right. And you, you have an impression of, of who you are. I mean, well, you know who you are, but everybody, everybody is something different depending on what the circumstances is. The circumstances are, I think (laughs) that would be English. Um, and, and you have like, there's like such a decided difference between like morning show and late night. And, and you go, well, that's not really me, but like, what, how do you tap into that? No, I know. I hear you. I hear you. I could yeah. tell you some stories. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Um, well, good luck with that. <laughs> Thank um, you. I hope this is not so painful with me today. No, again, this is this is the good part of the day. This is the good part of the day. Okay, good. Well, that makes me feel better. Um, I want to go back. Um, okay. do they call it the the Minneapolis? I don't even know if that's true. You were born in Minneapolis. I lived there. Did you know this about me? The Minneapolis? I lived there. No. Did you do theater there? I did. Wow. I did. Were, were you, uh, did you do theater with, um, oh, no, I'm forgetting his name. I can't forget his name. That's okay. He played my dad in Crazy Stupid Love. Um, oh, your dad in Crazy Stupid Love. John Carroll Lynch. John Carroll Lynch. <sighs> John Carroll Lynch and I have, not surprisingly, uh, been up for some of the same role. <laughs> So yes, I would have I know, never figured. I, I I know John, I know John well. Though to be fair, he is significantly older than me. Let's be clear about oh, that. Um, obviously, significantly older than me. Though we both look timeless. Um, <laughs> yes, I know, I know John. Um, you so you grew up in Minneapolis, but you were not participating in the theater scene. At this point, my understanding no. is you were a skater. I was a figure skater. Yeah. That is incredible. Because in Minnesota, you you learn how to tie skates before you learn how to walk. <laughs> that is true, which may, which is why I didn't get along so well in Minneapolis. <laughs> I was not I was not a skater. Now, were you one of the did you go? Did you learn like skating on the lakes? Um, we skated in the backyard. We skated in the backyard and um my mom would freeze down the, you know, put water and freeze down the uh, the pavement, and we'd ruin our skates. But we have videos of of us skating in our yard, which is just obscene to me. And I actually, I don't think I ever skated on a lake, which is okay. Really sad. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
But I guess if you're serious, that might be dangerous. Like if you're a serious skater, like bad things could happen, right? On a lake, you would think. Although in your backyard, you would think bad things could happen too. This is true. Um, Although I, you know, have in, what is it, in Norway where they, the river freezes over and then people just like commute to work on ice skates and just go down the river. I have this fantasy of doing that someday. That would be, yes, that would be great. I, and I, do you know, I don't know if you know this, we'll talk about Crazy Stupid Love, but your favorite co-star and mine, Steve Carell, you know, he's a skater too. I, his you know daughter was taking lessons um, at the time. That's what I remember. He does hockey, right? He does hockey. He doesn't yeah. do figure skating, to be no. clear. Yes. No, hockey's a lot easier. Ooh, that <laughs> sounds like the gauntlet has been thrown. Uh, are you still skating? You know, I stopped probably around 22. I think I did, uh, I did a benefit show around 22, okay. 23. And I do skate sometimes. I don't know how I did some of the things I did. Like getting up and down from a chair already is, is that's, you know, that's, that's something getting like squatting with one leg sticking out and then standing again. Oh, forget about it. Like, I, <laughs> for the life of me, I don't know how I did it, how anyone does it now. <laughs> I well, I don't know how it's done either. Clearly, but he he still like plays in a league. Steve, he still really? like skates around. Yeah, but again, I, mean, I guess that's easier. Yeah, no, easier actually, I I thought about going into going into hockey because it's I've never really done a team sport, and um, there's a lot of fun to be had in leagues. I don't think that I could make. The, I'd have to do it in figure skates though, because without a toe pick, I don't know. It's like skating on butter knives. I, you couldn't yeah. do it. I no, probably not. <laughs> but it, you know, but it's easier. <laughs> it's easier. Did you do? Could you do the jumps, like the turns, the triple sow cows, double sow cows? Could I do? I them don't even know if I'm saying that word right. You are. Uh, could I do them or did I do them? These are two different things. I I could do them. And I did. Right. Um, I wasn't good at them. I was really okay. bad, and I was very tall. Um, I'm a. I'm just shy of five ten, and Ooh. yeah. And I and I hit that growth spurt in high school, and I realized like everyone I was competing against is like gymnasts, they're five two, and I'd come on the ice and just look like. George the jungle swinging into vines and the walls and just back and forth. And I'd fall and everyone would be like timber. And I just like slide across the ice and take out children. And, um, I got to be a hazard. They made me wear an orange vest when I skated. I'm kidding. They because did. you were so tall. <laughs> uh, no, we did actually have to wear vests sometimes, but not, okay. not necessarily okay. for that. Not that they told me outright. Okay. But you, let's be clear to anyone listening, you were very serious about this. You moved to Sacramento, I'm told, mm -hmm. like at age eight, and you lived for a time with your skating coach. Yeah. Is that, is that right? So that you could train as much as possible? Yeah. And I mean, I went into homeschooling and for various reasons, I, bullies are a thing and it was tricky. And so I had skating where it's, I mean, honestly, figure skaters are very much performers. It's kind of like a circus, especially show skating. 
there's not a whole lot of difference behind stage at a skating show and a theater. It's just as chaotic. And I think that's probably where I fell in love with it. But um, because ice rinks are so far and few between in um, Sacramento, I had to live with my coach or my, my mother would be driving for like hours, four hours a day at some point she did to get me to wow. different rinks for different lessons and all the things that go into it. Bless my parents' hearts for doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was intense. You, you mentioned before you didn't, you've never done team sports. Did you feel like there was a sense of community though there, even though it was individualized, like before the show or was it, was it very solo? I didn't do show skating really until later. And I think that was my favorite part of it. It growing, okay. I mean, as I, for the majority of my skating career, it was solo and it's, it, it's really terrifying. I, was talking to someone today about it who um, their child was in skating. And now that I recall this conversation, I realized maybe I shouldn't have said this um, to them. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, skating is great. I think I've been maybe scarred a little bit by being like shoved on the ice in a spotlight at, you know, nine and then just falling all over the ice and then being judged for it over and over and over. You're alone and you can't get off the ice. And it just, and I always felt, I, I was not a performer when it came to the athleticism of it. I was very yeah. artistic and I had nice lines, but um, I mean, my coach would just like walk off, walk, at, walk away from the boards and I would sit there and end the program and just be like, ah, going to get a talking to <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh. So you just like failed over and over and over in the public eye. And I think that's what acting is. As well. Yeah. No, there is. There's a lot of similarities. And, but let me be clear you were a two time regional champion and you competed in four synchronized skating championships. This, it sounds like you may have been falling a lot, but you also had a lot of success. You mentioned before you hit a growth spurt and my understanding is at 16 you decided to retire is that is that why did you just get too tall physically for it or that were you and, over it well I knew that I would have loved to go into show skating um a lot of my friends have been in Disney on ice and holiday holiday on ice in Europe like and ice capades like ice that capades. stuff right yes and it's I mean the life is fascinating to me, but I didn't think I would be able to cut it for that long. And so I also kind of got obsessed with filmmaking at that time and realized, okay, I can continue to focus on skating, but what am I going to do? I'm not going to make it to the Olympics. I'm not. I just am not. And I don't think I want to figure out where else I could go in this sport. So I became obsessed with filmmaking and I kind of slowly transitioned into, into that. You started a film club in <laughs> high school. Yeah. So you were really into it. What was it about film? Why did you love it? Or, or what, what started your obsession with it? 
I think I was always found with a camera in my hands, like a video camera in my hands. And I think, I know it's because social skills are not my (laughs) strong point. Um, To, you know, I was in high school before social media and um, it wasn't normal to be filmed exactly. So I would walk around with my video camera and I was, a student body officer again, like I, I really kind of placed myself outside. <laughs> you know, students are interacting, um, but with a camera, everyone wanted to be on camera, and I was allowed in these circles that I never was allowed in before. And people wanted wanted me to be around them. They wanted to be filmed. Um, they liked the little like movies that I put together for assemblies, and it kind it gave me. It gave me an in and it gave me uh, a shield. And I could, I mean, I, I love looking through a lens. There's, to me, there's nothing like it. I feel like the world just takes on a different color and a different shape. And I see things in slow motion and it's, I, I love catching someone laughing or just those little moments. And um, my friends probably didn't know that that's what I was looking at, mind you. Um, but it really, really gave me a sense of, of, belonging and purpose where I think I really struggled to have that outside of it. That's so interesting to me. And just hearing you talk right there, it occurs to me, you know, you're someone who has a difficult time in social settings. And, you know, if I distill that down, it's like, why? Well, it's, it can be very chaotic. There's lots going on. There's different people who want different things from you, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it occurs to me that with a lens, you can frame exactly what you want to frame and you can examine and look at exactly what you choose to look at and interact with, which I think for someone who has a difficult time in, in chaotic social situations, that must be very freeing, right? Is that, was that part of it? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even red carpets today, you can see me usually carrying a camera. And if I get really nervous, I'll take a picture of, you know, people taking pictures. <laughs> and <laughs> right. I, I use it a lot. Uh, and yeah, and, and and no one, I don't bug people. Like I don't, I'm not self-conscious behind a camera. I know, I know my camera and that's, I'm confident where talking or walking or moving in general. <laughs> like I'm, I'm always trying to, I'm very aware of my movements and my f- face and things. And behind a camera, I just I don't have to do that. And I, I'm sure of myself. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. It's almost here. The Knicks anniversary sale starts this Thursday, May 9th at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of Nix's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. So mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th for the NYX anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak-proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Don't miss this. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You wanted to go to film school. Yeah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So the story I hear is you got into USC and you are having a party congratulating you for getting into USC. And then what you found out that there was like a issue with the acceptance. What, what happened? Yeah. Um, (laughs) and my sister was applying for law school at the time she'd gotten into UC, the USC, the law school, she'd gotten everywhere. Um, and I had a letter from the Dean of the film school I had taken, you know, summer courses there. And I, I was 
very excited. And I only applied to film schools. I was very sure that that's what I was doing. And I got a letter about a week and a half later. I call, I got a call a week and a half later because uh, we were waiting for, you know, the packet to arrive and stuff. Right. And there had been a mistake. It happens. Sometimes they release because the the schools roll out their acceptances at different times sometimes. And I was an early applicant. They hadn't gone. I mean, something wires crossed and my SAT scores in the math section were not, uh, <laughs> I hear they're, they're not, not having SATs anymore or, or putting a lot less emphasis on it, which, um, I'm very jealous of because out of all the schools that I applied to, I didn't get into a single college okay. and I had a very good GPA and it was traumatizing. And I remember hugging my dad and being like, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't get into college. My family's very, very academically driven. And uh, I remember my dad hugging me and just going, just prove him wrong. I don't know what that means, uh, really. But, you know, it's not it's not the end all be all. I'm yeah. telling myself still 15 years later. No, ob- obviously for you, it wasn't. But you decide to move to L.A. anyway. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, you just want you wanted to be there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had friends that were in film that were going to USC and were going to other schools. Um, and I knew I still wanted to be a filmmaker. There was no plan B. I mean, this was my life. And I moved down and I was going to finish my GEs at like Santa Monica Community College. And um, I went to Marymount College and then I was going to transfer, but I was on an academic scholarship and I didn't finish my classes. <laughs> I lost my scholarship um, and I needed money and I never went back and then I didn't have time to go back. Right. You started getting approached by modeling recruiters. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Are you putting your photo out there They've, or people are stopping you on the street? Now I hear, heard the MySpace story. We're going to talk about that in a second, but what, like how, how does that happen? No one's ever approached me. A modeling recruiter has never reached out to me. So tell me how, how does this happen? Um, at malls. At malls? They yeah. just come up to you? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's as common nowadays. Actually, I'm sure it is. But um, mostly through, it was, it was a lot through like MySpace and things when we were putting up, okay. you know, and everything was open to people, which is really terrifying to think of now, <laughs> yes. now that we know so much about it. But I would get um, someone from Top Model recruited me through that. But um, yeah, it happened at malls and... Um, and they're saying they're saying like you have a good look. You should be a model. Call me or come here now. Were these sketchy people ever, or was this like legit? This is like what legit people did. Um, people le- legit did this, and okay. I think it was you know I they were doing it in like Folsom, my where I was living, um, and I I'm not exactly sure of how legit that was, but I did some local things in Sacramento and it seemed fun. And I had such low confidence. I had such low confidence. I mean, that in a way, even though it did not give me confidence (laughs) at all, um, I was really trying to find some sort of acceptance or coolness. I mean, this is someone again, who like lived behind a camera because I couldn't say hi to people. (laughs) Right. Now I, was on MySpace. I don't know if you've heard this story. 
the office was, well, we were almost canceled very early on. And so as a way to try to drive audience, several of us, at the time, it was MySpace, right? So this is before Twitter or Facebook or anything else. We were like, what do people in offices do? Well, they're on this thing called MySpace. And so as our characters, we got onto MySpace and started communicating with people as though we were working in offices. So that's my experience. Uh, Kevin Malone was on MySpace. I was never on MySpace. Brian was never on MySpace, but Kevin Malone was and wrote blogs in character about the people that were around me. Again, as a very early way to try to attract interest in the show from early guerrilla um, advertisement. That's amazing. This was early. Yes, this was us. We thought we were going to be canceled like we were. So there were four or five of us, uh, BJ Novak included. He was one of the early adapters of that, too. And yeah, so we so we did that. I you know, I don't even remember a lot of function occasionally. Someone will come up to me and say, we used to message on MySpace or something like this. And I'm like, okay, I don't even remember how that functionality worked. It's been so long. But so you're on there. Are you posting pictures in terms of trying to get work? No. Or are you just on... You're just on MySpace, you know, enjoying... Because it was mostly music, I think. That was like its core focus. And then people would see pictures... And start messaging you? Yeah. I mean, I was, I, that was a, it was a pretty normal thing to be on in, uh, in high school. That was like, you know, MySpace was still just college only. Um, okay. So I think that was the, that was the early days of, of kind of like an Instagram nowadays in a way, a lot right. less, a lot less, but um, right. yeah. So I think I, all, like all my friends were on MySpace and stuff and no, 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 not posting to, find anything. <laughs> right. You were just there. Yeah. And so someone from America's Next Top Model approaches you about coming on the show. Yeah. Now, do you have modeling experience at this point through these other recruiters and stuff or do, are they aware that you're a model? Uh yes and no. I mean, that's such a broad term too. It's but I right. I did some like really little things around Sacramento and no, they they hadn't, and top mo- like reality television hadn't fully become what it is, right? And it still had this edge of ooh, <laughs> cool. Like someone else from my school was on Top Model, okay, and it seemed just really really cool. And I went and I auditioned, and I didn't get in. And then like six months later, seven months later, uh the same woman contacted again and asked, um, asked if I would come back in and I, yeah. And then I got on the show. And so at that point it was cool. It was, it was cool. I had some friends that were actually disappointed. Like some of my film friends were not okay with it. (laughs) They were just like, that's not, um, my parents were really scared. I was excited. I was really excited. Was it a positive experience? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think it was. um, So it's, what's interesting is you have to take a lot of tests, right? You have to take a lot of personality tests. You have to take a lot of like intelligent tests that like just a bunch of tests and you have to sit down with a psychiatrist or a therapist and they, 
go over your answers and try to get what kind of person you are. And early on in the elimination process, one of the producers came in and kind of, there were like 30 of us left and said, you know, this is, this is television. We need you guys to start talking about each other. I know that you guys are all being polite and everything and too afraid, don't want to say anything bad, but we need you guys to be more honest. Uh, we want mm. people to watch. And, and they were very honest about it. Like, um, I went back to my hotel room and had a panic attack. And I went and found um, the producer and they brought me in. And I was like, look, I know, I know what you just said. I, I can't, I don't think like that. I can't say those things because they're not in my head. Like I don't process information like that. And I don't process indivi like individual interactions like that. And she said, you know, I know. And you don't have to, because we've talked about it with the doctors and you, that is clear and lines up with who you are. So you shouldn't feel pressure to do so. And I didn't. Okay. And in that way, I think I, one, got to, I had the fortune of avoiding maybe some strange editing moves or specific okay. editing things. And, um, and I knew my, my role. I was the peace loving hippie. I wore a peace sign the entire time. And that was kind <laughs> of my... <laughs> Don't you wish that your 19-year-old self was recorded doing things for the world right. to see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think the show gave you any extra confidence? No. No. I On a performance level? No. Uh, you know, actually, someone, um, one of the judges was like, you should be an actor. And... I had Tyra the, Banks, I heard. Yes, go ahead. I had I had the, the best cover girl, cover girl commercial. And then I was voted off later for not being able to speak Dutch. <laughs> not, <laughs> not that I've had like 20 years of bitterness almost, but no, not at all. Um <laughs> and that was that was um that was nice to hear kind of point in that direction. Did you want to be an actress at that point? I did theater in high school and I loved performing because it was similar in a way to being behind the camera, at least when it came to not being able to interact, but being. So I could live as someone else and a lot of, a lot of my own internal turmoil would calm down and, and quiet uh, while I was playing someone else. I played a sneezing tree and um, I played a crow. Uh, I played one of the... Indians in, uh, I say this because Peter Pan, the musical nowadays, right. I right. don't even know how that would fly in, in high school, but, um, I, right. you said fly by the way, in Peter Pan. Anyway, keep going. That was, that was nice. Um, yeah. So clearly I, I mean, I figured I'd have a great path in front of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> how can you not with sneezing tree number three? Um, right. <laughs> But in, in college, before Top Model, I actually did, I was in theater, and that theater director loved my work. Like, I did a mon like I read a monologue out of a book to audition. I mean, we didn't really have a serious theater thing. Right. It was a two-year college, so it was very small. And 
And he was really excited. And I was so baffled because I'd never gotten a lead (laughs) at school. I'd never gotten much of a speaking role. (laughs) Um, And I played Billy Bibbit in the theater program. We went to a theater, like a United States theater competition. And then I came back and I got the lead of the picnic. And in the middle of that, about two weeks before we opened, that's when I got the call that I would be going to the show. And I had to, I had to, uh, I had to train someone else very quickly. And I think, thank God she was amazing, but I didn't realize how devastated I would be and how much I loved it. So that was there planted from like right before top model, uh, and an experience that I had not understood that I would love so much and feel welcomed to. Right. When you left top model, were you on that path to try to begin auditioning and get roles? I know you had a fairly big break, the role of hot chick in the Green Hornet with Seth Rogen. Yes. Yeah. Although although my character got a name. Oh, what was the name? Anna Lee. Anna Lead? It's, it's uh, well, Anna Lee, but Michelle Gondry couldn't Anna say. Lee. Yes, which was my previous name. <laughs> Um, I never know how to say that, but it was because Michelle uh, Gondry, the director, couldn't pronounce my name on set. And he'd come up and go, Anna, Anna, Anna. And Seth was like, it's Annalie. And they thought that was funny. So in the movie, they, they say my name. They say, or I say, you know, it's Annalie because Seth can't remember either. And they gave me a, a, a title and I felt so much better because my family was not letting me live down hot chick. Hot chick. Okay. All right. I apologize. Um, no, no, it's, it's a good, it, it turned out really, I mean, hot chick, I can thank now. You can thank, yes. Did you feel like that was, was that your first break? So after, Big break in terms of film? Yeah, after Top Model, um, I didn't know what to do and I lost my scholarship. And I decided to put filmmaking on hold and see what would happen. And my cousin was down here, uh, down in L.A., who introduced me to an agent at Abrams uh, Agency, and they decided to take me on commercially, not theatrically at all. Um, Turns out I'm terrible at commercials. My face just moves a lot (laughs) in the way that I speak. I'm not a commercial (laughs) individual, turns out. Um, But there was a show about models on the CW. And because I had just gotten off the show, Abrams was like, yeah, you know, you're a model go ahead. (laughs) And close before this big bang theory was doing a episode where they broke into the top model house. And so I had auditioned for that with other girls from top model and I got the speaking part. Um, And so I was taft Hartley into SAG, which allowed me to then audition for things. So I went up for this, this modeling show and I tested and I didn't know what testing was. Um, and it's a terrifying experience where you do your scenes and you audition live in front of a bunch of people wearing suits, um, with grave expressions on their face. Always. Uh, it's terrifying. It's, there's, there's nobody, nobody. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. It is. But because of that, I was 
they were like, oh, well, you act here. We'll start sending you out on something. The first audition that I went out for after was Persephone um, in uh, Percy Jackson. And I wore, Uh I dressed up as Persephone and I wore like this long black dress and I had this makeup and everything. And I couldn't remember my lines. And I was so nervous that I started stuttering and the casting woman was like, you can, you can hold the paper. And I was like, no, 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 I can't. No, I can't. And I got out of that audition and just started hysterically crying. It was so bad. It was so bad. Um, And so the Big Bang Theory came out and I got Hot Chick on Green Hornet, I think because I did some sort of improv at the end and it came really fast and it went really fast. And during that time, I, I was in acting class and they gave me a scene for Crazy Stupid Love for Jessica. Yes. Now, I, I don't understand this story. So help me out here. Why do they have why are they giving you scenes from something that hasn't been shot like I'm used to like either a play or even a film that exists. Why are you getting the sides for this movie that isn't out yet? Can you explain this to me? I think I did. I, I think I had a, a man, I, like a brand new manager at the time, not brand new, my first. Who gave you sides. Yeah. Who was, and I needed something for class. And I was like, is there anything that I can work okay. on? And they sent, and I really loved it. And my, my acting coach was like, you know, you shot audition for this. And they called and they didn't want me to audition. They said I was too old. Um, I was 20, right. 21, 22, 22. Um, and it was really hard to get an audition for it. But I had no pressure on me because I figured that, I mean, this is just a role that I really love doing. And I don't have to try to be what they're looking for since I'm not what they're looking for in general. I wish I could apply that to everything I do. Right. It's not always that easy to have that kind of freedom going into a role, but yeah. And so they eventually say yes, and yeah. you go in, and you you get the role of Jessica. Did you watch The Office? I at that, at time, that time, no, I hadn't. But my no. my whole family had. <laughs> okay, so you don't know who Steve Carell is, yeah. or you know peripherally. I didn't know who Steve Carell was or Julianne Moore. Or Ryan Gosling. (laughs) I knew who Kevin Bacon was. And that was my family was just so excited that I was a few degrees from two degrees from Kevin Bacon. (laughs) I remember when we when my mom and I were Googling these 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 names being like, oh, yeah, okay, I I recognize them. Looking back, it's just it's I can't believe that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was. Yeah, we were sheltered. That is crazy that you didn't know any of those people. Did do you think that took the pressure off you? Do you think you would have felt more pressure if you had known? I mean, at the time, and I'm saying this, this is not like The Office is the biggest show on television at this point. Mm-hmm. And and he has, after 40-year-old Virgin, become like essentially the biggest comedy star on the planet. Yeah. And and you just don't, you just don't know. I mean, that's got to have helped you, right? I mean, I like, I had no idea who Seth Rogen was, but I, I loved Michelle Gondry's films. So right. like filmmakers, I could kind of, you know, I was, I was into, and I, I think, yes, I think it, it was really everyone around me being so anxious. That was the, 
uh, the confusing factor. Honestly, at the beginning of my career, I think I was very confused as to what was happening most of the time. Um, okay. <laughs> and it just kept happening. Um, <laughs> and I was just trying to take it all. It, like, it really wasn't. I mean, it's confusing. I didn't mean to be an actor. And I don't want to say that lightly because I'm very happy to be one now. But it was never the plan. I was right. always going to be a filmmaker and a director, a writer. And yes. I think as I began getting roles, it took me like three films uh, to finally, on a press junket, be like, I guess, yeah, I'm an actor. Because <laughs> <laughs> they'd say like... Your model turned actress. I was like, well, one, I was not a model. That did not happen. <laughs> you can ask Ford about that for firing me instantly. <laughs> and uh, and I, no, I'm not an actor. Like, you are in a movie. Yeah. I don't know how, but no, I'm not an actor. That's fascinating. You, you, you once said that Steve taught you more about how to be on set than anybody you've ever worked yeah. with. What what do you what what do you mean by Hands that? Hands down. I mean, before that, again, like besides Big Bang Theory, which was a very, you know, studio, very different, Green right. Hornet was the only film set I'd ever been on. Like student films. <laughs> um, I didn't know what a mark was. On the way to rehearsal, right. I actually I remember asking a PA being like, What are you supposed to do in rehearsal? And they looked at me and they were like, rehearse, whatever that means. And Getting on set with On Crazy Stupid Love, I learned everything. I mean, one, Steve would watch himself. So we would do some takes and we'd go back and I would watch our scenes, watch how he analyzed it, how he would tweak things. And I think my skill at that time, if you could call it that, was observing someone else and working off of that because I, I didn't have any ideas really. I, again, I had no idea what was happening, but I could react. And, you know, Steve was so giving and so kind. And I don't think, I mean, to this day, I think that's kind of the gold standard for my experience in, in general, looking back, it was such an incredible set and group of people and so loving and warm that I, I really owe everything going forward to that experience. It was very much right. acting 101. Well, I mean, as it, as it sounds like you know by now, I mean, how incredibly lucky you were because, and I say this with all respect to <laughs> most of the people that I've worked with since, it, it doesn't get any better than him. It just doesn't (laughs) in terms of as a person to work with, as a professional on set, someone who's generous and giving and always willing, if you have something funny or or better to step back and allow that to go forward. I mean, it just doesn't get any better. No. So, yeah, that's just an incredible gift you were given. Well, And because I had never, I mean, done comedy or or anything. now I realize what what a gift some of that experience was. Learning, for instance, to give and receive in comedy and be right. open and 
listen to the other actor, I think is something that is priceless to me. And I have had other jobs where that has not been the case. I didn't realize that isn't the case for everyone. You know, it, it made it a little, it made it challenging to sometimes be like, there's a better, there's a better way to do this. <laughs> there's, there's a better way to interact. <laughs> like if you listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> you know. I, I heard you had, you had a solo scene with Steve in a car and you were, you were having a rough time right before that scene started shooting and he told you a story or you guys started, started talking about figure skating. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, figure skating in space camp. Um, and then okay. I had a panic attack outside of the car and the directors took me back into the trailer and gave me a shot of whiskey. And because it was the first, it was like the first big scene I was doing with Steve. I'd never been on a rig right. before. And it was just, I was so nervous. But yeah, no, I mean, Steve was absolutely wonderful and kind and calming and whiskey helped and we got through it. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. It's almost here. The Nix anniversary sale starts this Thursday, May 9th at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of Nix's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. So mark your calendar this Thursday, May 9th for the NYX anniversary sale. Get 30% off all leak-proof underwear, shapewear, activewear, and more. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Don't miss this. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. moved to New York City, or you were in New York City a lot, you do a bunch of other projects at this point. HBO's Hung, Mm -hmm. Warm Bodies, Manhattan Love Story, Why Women Kill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I do want to talk about and congratulate you on Vengeance. Thank you. Just out. Very, very... Very popular, excellent movie with my other coworker, BJ Novak. And now, did you get an offer? Or did you did you audition for that? I did audition. Um, I did audition, and I felt you know you know when you go into an audition and you're like, okay, I feel like feel like this is going to work out. Um, yes, and it did, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was quite a whirlwind. It was around the pandemic. I die. And it was held to film. I will have, I have one story there. We we're filming out in the oil fields uh, in okay. uh, New Mexico. And it was like, the, it was really late and cold. And I was in a dress with nothing. Like it was like a sheet, it was like a thin dress. And I'm on the ground yeah. in these oil fields, which are fit. There's no ground. It's burrs and thorns. All it is, is thorns and dry, itchy, painful stuff. And they'd put the gurney down um, and line up the shot. And it would be fine because the gurney was there, but then they'd remove the gurney. And it would happen to be like on, you know, hopefully we tried to kind of make a path. But one of the last shots was a wide shot. The camera, I couldn't even see the camera, right? It was like mile away. And they put down the gurney and they brought it up. And I mean, there it's a tumbleweed. It is like a three foot high bush of pointy, pointy, sharp things. And I sit there and I'm, oh, and I have to crawl on my, I'm dying. So I'm, I'm crawling. Um, not really a spoiler. It's in the first like three minutes. I'm crawling on my, on my belly and my hands and knees. And I'm having a drug overdose. I'm like spitting and everything. And I'm pretty bruised by this time. And BJ goes, what, what, what is it? (laughs) just right. Like there's a lot of thorns right here. 
and he pauses and he goes, there's thorns everywhere. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> I got down. And at the end, I mean, I never, I never, I think I might've told this to BJ later, but I got back to the hotel and I was just bloody and I had an allergic reaction and I was just cut and sliced all over. And I put it in a script that I was writing later. I put a very similar scene. Oh, good. <laughs> There's thorns. Make him play There's it. thorns everywhere. <laughs> There's thorns everywhere. Um, um, and, uh, and I work with Jake Lacey. I know. When When is our turn? A friend of the family, Peacock. This is coming out eminently yes. here, yeah. right? Um, October 6th. October 6th. It's coming out like almost immediately after we finish talking. This is the true story of the Broberg family. You played the wife of Jake Lacey. Mm-hmm. How was Jake? Um, well, he plays a terrifying role in this, which is a predator yes. of children and people alike. Um, and it's funny because I mean, he's just, he's so nice. Jake is like one of the, he ni- is so he's nice. so nice. And he's just, he's, he's so gosh, nice. he was so great to work with and so thoughtful on set. I, I, I had a baby, which, uh, I don't think I have worked with before um and i every time the baby would just start hysterically crying like it was not it started to not be funny for me because the we had like twins one time and they put the baby in my arm and it would be fine it would have been fine for like 45 minutes setting up everything people were passing around the baby the baby like barely touched my hands and would break out into hysterics then they bring the other baby and the baby would be fine for about three minutes until it broke out into hysterics every single time and jake was just so kind during that and making sure like I was okay and that, you know, I could act and and whatnot. Um, No, he's, he's wonderful. I'm so excited for him for this show because man, what a performance. I'm so excited to see it. Obviously I haven't yet. It has, it's not out, but this is also produced by the real life mother and daughter who, who was kidnapped. Yeah. Did you did you find yourself doing a lot of research to the original stories or talking to them about their experience going through it? How was yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, that was priceless. That was priceless to have them there. And I think that it wouldn't have, the show would not have happened had we not had that support from them, truly, because you can't tell a story this harrowing and do it justice and not have the victims involved. I mean, I'm sure you could, but... Uh, we really thought it was important because she wants to tell her story, Jan. Um, since this is a story of a predator and grooming, um, he didn't only groom the little girl and and her family, but also his own family, Gail, and his children, really. And when you're doing something that deep, I know for Jake, it was really important, too, because Jan got on and was like, look, I've, I have healed. I have gone through this. I've come out the other side. I'm good. I want you to then feel free to take this where you need to take it and how it was. And I think the important thing is like how not only is a story just bonkers and it is, it's, it just gets more and more bonkers. She was abducted twice. (laughs) Um, 
twice the same mm-hmm. girl by the same yes. person. And I think Jan looks and was like, people look at my parents and say, how could that have happened? And she wants people to know that it very much is not her parents, that this happens, that grooming happens right under your nose and that children and adults alike are susceptible and trying to get that out, get her side out. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not asking for any spoilers here, but you play the abductor played by Jake Lacey. You play his wife. Are you a victim or are you a perpetrator? So that's a really good question. The real, the real Gail, um, chose not to sign off on, you know, with with her rights, didn't want to be involved. And I totally understand and respect that. Um, I didn't even see a photo of her. I listened to a Mm. tape and I got to read a lot of letters and obviously speak with Jan and kind of form the fictionalized version that I brought since I didn't have that first interaction. And the way that Gail's comes across is especially on paper, is you just, I can't imagine anyone not asking themselves, how did she let this happen? Um, How did she let her husband, how did she protect her husband when this was happening? She must have known. And instead of looking at each scene and going, okay, this is where she knew, this is where she was ignorant, um, I tried to take that completely out of it and do it through one, simplify it and go through one filter of, I'm not a parent yet, but, um, my mother is a, is a fierce mother, mama, mama bear. And I thought about what she would do for her girls and for me and realizing like the depths that I believe she would go to protect me protect them. I use that as as like a template for Gail. And every decision, everything that she did to me was through love, protecting her family because it's the 70s and they're in a Mormon community and there is no divorce and she doesn't have a job and she has four children. And something like this coming out would not only ruin her and her family. Uh, it, I mean, I think to Gail, there was no option. And I really wanted to take kind of that, I wanted that to play out at least. And people are going to make their own judgments either way. But for me, I it was, what would I do to protect my family, even though this horrific thing is happening? Um, obviously, I don't think Gail wanted any of it to happen. Um, I think she was probably pretty traumatized by it as well. And things aren't black and white. Things are not black and white when, when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. I'm super, super interested in it. I love Jake. I've seen all of the trailers and, uh, congratulations on that, uh, as well. And yeah, you're just going through the office cast (laughs) one by one. You're just picking everybody off. Eventually, it'll be my turn, and it will be my absolute pleasure. I find your story amazing and so unique and rare, and you to be such an interesting, special person. I wish you truly nothing but the best moving forward. 
Um, is there any other projects you have? I heard rumor of one. I don't know if we can discuss it or not. Uh, an adaptation of a podcast? Yes. It is actually um, hopefully going to be out. It's a very popular podcast. We'll see. They're they're in the middle of trying to sell it, but that was that's with New Regency. I'm letting in my fiance, which I get married um, the two days after the show comes out. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> yeah. Congratulations! Thank you. That's that's awesome. A friend, a uh, two days after a friend of the family premieres. I yes. Yeah, so you you've been on flights. I came. I got in yesterday. I fly back to LA on Friday. Then on Sunday or Monday, Sunday night at like midnight, I fly to Wisconsin and then back. So it's. I, I, uh, I'm going to feel you on the flights. <laughs> well, congratulations to you, Thank you on your upcoming nuptials. Congratulations on the show due out later this week. I'm so happy for you. And I'm so thankful that you took some time to talk to me. It truly has been my pleasure. Likewise, honestly, it's, it's an honor. Um, I'm so excited. Let's, let's find something to work on together. That would be amazing. I would love to do that. Leo, thank you so much. Leo, thank you for stopping by the podcast. Uh, such a pleasure getting to know you. I can't wait to see which of the Office cast you work with next. <laughs> Hopefully, it will be me. And to everyone out there listening, I will see you again, same time, same place, next week. But until then, I hope you get out there and enjoy yourself. What a beautiful time of year is fall. And a new episode will be falling next Tuesday. We'll see you soon. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our producers are Diego Tapia, Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend, Creed Bratton. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.